Do an AFL one. It's grand final. But if I say Ling, you got nothing. <laughs> <laughs> or do I? I know so many AFL players. <laughs> okay. All right. You know so many yeah. AFL players. Yeah. All right. Let's do this. Welcome to Jeremy's Iron. This is an evidence-based podcast about science, research, and AFL players playing in today's grand final. Oh, fuck. Go. <laughs> <laughs> no. With me, Justin Cameron. And me, Justin Brownlow. <laughs> I'll, I'll accept it. I'll accept it. Justin Ablett Jr. Uh, no, there's no Ablets, but well done. Like, uh, like, 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 science podcast and this is actually take two of our little intro because yeah. we just had about a what 20 minute discussion mm-hmm. on Greta Thunberg is that, her, is that how you pronounce your last name I don't know. Um, we decided we were going to make a, a little hash of discussing current current events it got heated hot it got topics. hot yeah I think it was going to distract us from our goal of discussing yeah. fluoridation for this episode <laughs> I'm going to keep it and potentially I'm going to put it at the end of this episode so if you want to stick around should we release it as subscriber only content ooh I like that I think we should like have that, that for our, our arguments like J and J because people say to us you know do you agree on everything well we, we do don't. not we and definitely we don't. don't agree on this so maybe we keep the disagreements yeah um, JVJ yeah. Uh, for the subscribers. Or there was a, a technique used by Tony Martin and Mick Malloy on yep. their long-running radio show in the 90s called Martin Malloy, mm-hmm. where they wanted to deliver two pieces of content. So they would actually pan one of the pieces of content to the left and pan the other one to the right in post, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're listening, you just need to put one earphone in. If you, want to, if you want to hear us talking about Greta Thunberg, we'll put that on the left channel. If you want to hear us talking about really fluidation, good. we'll put it on the right channel. That's so awesome. you can choose. It's a choose your own adventure. Oh, dude, we got to do that more. We got we got to play with that. Yeah, that's a really just good don't idea. put both in at once. I feel like that's that's probably going to be be ultimately very confusing for you. Oh, that's really we got to play with some of that technology. Mm. That's awesome. Especially anyway, now that we can do split channels. This is this is an episode about fluidation. We're going to look into the the good, the bad, the ugly, the history, the conspiracies, the science, the science, the texture. Everything. The smells. I do want to have a little bit of a chat beforehand yeah. before we get there. If you want to just go straight to it. Fast forward to about, what, nine, ten minutes in? That's usually when we kick something off. Something like that. The, something like that. You'll figure yeah. it out. I want to talk quickly about Justin Trudeau. Don't point at me. Well, he's the third Justin. It's, uh, it's, True. He's one of us. <laughs> he is, yeah. He's part of the greater Justin collective. He is. Justin Trudeau's blackface. Yeah. This... Coincides with what you're, you're, you're doing a whole bunch of like listening to French Revolution stuff. Oh, and this is a prime example of the left eating their own, right? Like, mm-hmm. I don't think anyone disagrees that this guy is one of the more progressive yeah. world leaders, if not the most progressive world leader out there, right? Yeah. Does something, well, quote unquote silly from 20 years ago when it might not have even have been that, we that spicy at the, yeah. in 2001 or whatever. Mm-hmm. And now he's in the poop. Yeah, he is in the poop, and it is the left eating itself, just like, as you were saying, the French Revolution. Yeah, which... yeah, the uh, the left devouring their own. Um, I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah, look, in the '90s, it was a different time. Showing blackface was wasn't nearly as frowned upon. I've got photos of my dad in blackface from the '90s. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ! All right. Yeah. Yeah, so like, you know, everyone was doing blackface. Everybody sure. was blacking up in the 90s. Um, my, one of my favorite comedians, if not my favorite Australian yeah. comedian, Sean McAuliffe, his, on the program, the Sean McAuliffe program, mm-hmm. he wasn't in it, but in one of his sketches, they did a, like, it was a, a sort joke of secondary about- joke about blackface, sure. but there was a guy in blackface in it. Yeah. This was in the late 90s or whatever. Well. It just, it wasn't such a, it wasn't such a clangor. At that time, no, it wasn't. I guess the concern, or I guess the um, the idea around Trudeau is that is it possible that he's not nearly as progressive as he has been? That he says he is, right? And that the whole thing has been a bit of an act. Uh, yeah, okay. and I don't know enough about him or Canada. he's been in trouble over the last year or so. He's been sort of kind of accused of some corruption charges and um, sort of some uh, some malpractice in using his seat of power and. 
so obstruction of justice is one of the crimes being levied against him right now. So for someone who was, and there's also a lot of stories about him doing sort of backhanded deals regarding energy, um, and, uh, and you have oil digging in Canada and things like that, which not, don't really jive with the platform that he was kind of uh, promising yeah. three years ago. Um, so there's a duplicity kind of to his personality now. We're kind of seeing these scandals break out, these stories about some of the things that he's let pass, and now we're seeing the old blackface things. It's sort of building this portrait of a man that is maybe using, um, riding the horse of sort of uh, progressive left behavior to win votes and to gain the hearts of the people. Mm. But in reality, it's just a platform that he's using and it's not really who he is. And I think there's probably some degree of that. I think that the degree to which he came out as being so far left and so progressive and the words he was using and the rhetoric that he was expressing to me, even back then, seemed very disingenuous. It seemed, it seemed, question, it seemed right? too much, especially in that we have, you had Trump on one side and then you had him. I, I just felt like he was going too hard with the whole thing. Yeah. He's well, like, that, I like, think that's, that's potentially the issue, right? It's more yeah. of a, a question. Are we, are we seeing the real Justin yeah. now, increasingly? Am I and seeing the real Justin? You, right here? Well, are you are you ingenuous? I'm not blacked up, am I? <laughs> no, no, you're not. <laughs> the best part was when they asked him, um, how many more times did he black up or how many more uh, cases will they find? Yeah. And he said, I don't know. I can't answer that question. Yeah. <laughs> like, there could that be. That was just a thing he used to do. Yeah. Just, oh, man. And so that was it's a big just an It was a big part of his life. Goal. It's an own goal yeah. with that big it's time. It's so good. And I would love, I would love so much if we saw another photo of him blacking up like now, like after the scandal. Yeah, okay. Yeah. <laughs> he, just can't, good. He, he just he can't, can't help stop. it. <laughs> he has <laughs> to go to like an, an AA equivalent for people that just love blacking up. If there's a video, like, a footage of him at like a like a Caribbean retreat, blacked up. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> and he just he just can't stop. Well, that's uh yeah, that's good the old, news. Good old Justin. Uh, anyway, moving on. Moving I'm on. Furious. Let's, should we go and get into a really beautiful podcast about water fluoridation, which I'm extremely excited about. The way it's me gonna... too. I'm excited, and you know we came into this with no no side, no no, no skin. No, no, uh, no vested interest in either side of the story, mm-hmm. right? Well, let's fl- we'll throw to a little break and then we'll come back and okay. we'll talk all things fluoridation. Yeah, so tell me now. Yep. You're talking to Mark, our friend, about fluoridation. Yeah, we need That's to give a bit, of a, a bit of a tip of the hat to our friend Mark Silvers. Yep. Um, we're hoping to have on the show. Yeah, he doesn't know it yet, but we're going to throw an invite his way because mm-hmm. he... Started the whole thing. ...thinks differently to us and we would... We, I think we need it. We're getting a bit stale with our yeah. hyper-rational, hyper-scientific um, mm-hmm. views on things all the time. And I think... It'll be a welcome change to have him on the show. So we're going to ask him on. Mm. But I was talking to him about water fluoridation and he is very much anti-fluoridated water. Like he brings his own bottle everywhere with him. Anti-fluoridated water. Yeah. And he was trying to convince me that I should not be drinking water from the Sydney Basin because it's fluoridated. I'd be more worried and, about mercury in the water from the city basin than fluoride. Yeah, well, but whatever. Anyway, it's, it's tested. How many teeth much. did Mark have? <laughs> he had plenty of teeth. <laughs> Good. Plenty of teeth. Good. So that sparked an interest in me to actually investigate. And it's freaking fascinating. Had you ever thought wanna... about fluoride before that? No, I just... Okay, I, I worked at the Ministry of Health for about six or seven years. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the northern states of New South Wales who are taking fluoride out of there water supply yeah and we always sort of sort of sniggered between ourselves being like oh bloody northern hippies mm-hmm. taking fluoride out and they're going to all get dental caries and all this kind of stuff mm-hmm. so i was always primed to be pro water fluoridation sure but i don't want to give too much away after this i've got to say i'm, I'm interested to talk to you about it but i'm yep. pretty much anti-water fluoridation now Interesting. This, okay. My, my mind has been completely changed. Yeah. M- much to Mark's joy when he hears this podcast, if he mm-hmm. listens. Um, anyway, so that's the background for me. Yeah. 
And now, when you mentioned it to me, my first thought was, I'm from Montreal, Canada, mm-hmm. and we do not fluoridate our water. And growing up, I remember the my parents' friends. It, it would come up every now and then at a dinner party, or people would come over, and it was generally derided as being a backwards policy, and sort of in a regressive. Sorry, the fluoridation was backwards. No, the the lack of fluoridation. Oh, got it. Yeah. So people would think, what do we live in like a third world country here? Why aren't we fluoridating our water like the rest of North America does? What's wrong with Quebec? Why don't we do it? Hmm. And I remember at one point, I think one of my father's friends mentioning that it had something to do with the aluminum industry and the fact that fluoride was a byproduct of the aluminum industry and had, we can't fluoridate our water because of them. Anyway, <laughs> but it is interesting. So that, was my, that was my attitude walking into this of, okay, I'm going to figure this out once and for all. This is great because I've had a lot of questions about fluoride and water and yeah. yada yada for well, 25 years. Are you ready for the history of water fluoridation, which is amazing? I love this. I, I love the history. I read it too and... It's good. It's it, really good. It ties into what I just said. Yeah, and it's it, incredible. It, it does. Um, the reason being, on both sides, mm. people tend to parrot these things like um, uh, the aluminum connection, which conspiracy, is, exactly. Yeah. And, and on the other side, there's also like a, a rat poison issue as well, which links. Yeah. It's historical the connection to rat mm-hmm. poison and stuff. And Nazis, which is what Mark was bringing up. Actually, Mark told me the first thing he said about fluoride is that it's a um, an element of rat poison. Yeah. Anyway, we're going to hear about the history of fluoridation. You ready for it? Big time. Okay. So, uh, let me take you to 1901, mm-hmm. where there's a guy called Frederick McKay, who uh, was a cornet player. He was a musician. This is, you know, turn of the century. So, we're thinking like wagons and... and Barbershop du- quartets. Duels, you know, like people du- doing gunslinging duels. I think maybe that was a bit... Uh, no, it's, it's too early. 1901 would be the tail end of that. Okay. It was the late 1800s. Would so, have been, uh, Cowboy Western. in amongst these gunslinging duels... Our uh, Frederick McKay develops tuberculosis and can no longer play his cornet. And this is in Colorado Springs. It's in Colorado Springs. You got it. You got it. So he becomes. I could, I could, I could feel you. You set up such a beautiful tapestry. Yeah. I knew where I was. I could only be in Colorado Springs. So what you painted that picture. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he goes to Colorado Springs initially because yeah. he needs to get treated. But then he's like, actually, this whole medicine cape is great. Mm-hmm. I might become, well, might join the profession, becomes a dentist, right? Mm-hmm. Now, it was in Colorado, Colorado Springs that he notices that a lot of the population has these brown stained teeth mm-hmm. and they get coined the Colorado brown stain. So that was, that was what was known as this condition. That's a good name for a sporting team, right? The Colorado brown stain. stain. <laughs> so there's like a football team. Yeah. They'd be like, you know, you got the San Francisco 49ers and the Colorado brown stain. Yeah. It's great. <laughs> Colorado Springs. I'm just picturing your like jersey, brown. which is like white with just <laughs> stucco. Modeled, kind of, yeah. yeah. Just like. Anyway, the initial theories were that maybe the people of Colorado Springs were having too much meat. Or maybe it had something to do with the milk they were drinking and not enough calcium, that mm-hmm. kind of thing. But Frederick had this hunch that it might be had might have something to do with the drinking water, but all the tests he was doing on the drinking water came back normal mm-hmm. because at that time they didn't have particularly, you know, spectrometers yeah. and all this kind of stuff. This is 1901. 1901. Barbershop quartets. Gunslinging jewels. Colorado Springs. <laughs> Elemental spectrometry <laughs> is just way down the list of yeah. technological advancements at the mm. time. Anyway, the, the dental community also had theories around too much iron, maybe radioactivity and heredity, something about the people there that they just... They just inherited genetically yeah. these brown teeth. So he enlists this guy called Dr. G. Black from the Northwestern Dental How School. How good is that name? Dr. G. Black. Dr. G. Black. And this is when they coin it the Colorado brown stain. And they found that 90% of the residents had this brown stain, but importantly, their teeth were impervious to decay. Yeah, amazing, right? Yeah. So they looked like trash, but they had one of the least levels the, the smallest levels of tooth decay yeah. of any other population and they were like okay that's that's kind of weird so it's almost like these brown stains had some protective effect right so didn't know what was going on they were like okay this is an interesting study they published that in 1915 there were some other communities that also had this it's brown like stain up popping country, up right so mckay goes to europe and gets gets on the caller the, the blower these days the, yeah. the two tins and string yep and that's a long string it's a long, it's a very long string. Imagine keeping tension in that string. <laughs> Underwater cables kind of thing. Yeah. He gets called to Naples in Italy where one particular community, well, someone was like, hey, we heard you're doing this research around brown stained teeth. 
one community had brown stained teeth and then it disappeared over the course of five to ten years. In Napoli. In Napoli. And so he went over there. It was called Denti Neri or Denti Scriti. Neri was like like black, right? Black and Scriti probably sounds like So Denti Neri is like black teeth. Black teeth. Oh, yeah. So Puzzuli, which is one of the districts in Naples, what they found was that it turns out probably about five to ten years before their teeth started improving visually, yeah. they changed their water supply. So this is when they were kind of like, Frederick McKay was like, okay, there's something going on in the water. This is definitely a thing we need to look into. Maybe we don't have the technology yet to figure out what it is, but these people had brown as hell teeth. Now they're looking pretty good. All they did was they changed their water supply. What's up with that? What's in the water? Okay, here is where we enter with the aluminium mining corporations. So our story now moves to um, Bauxite, Arkansas. Very good. Bauxite, Arkansas. I did my reading. That's good. Yeah. So aluminium was huge in the war effort. Mm -hmm. It was required in manufacturing for a light recyclable material. It was like the big, the new big thing that people were mining. Look, it's still one of the great metals in my book. Yes, but it was copying a lot of flack at the time for some unrelated public health issues, but also people were thinking, ah, maybe there's an aluminium in the water situation going on Mm -hmm. and it might be staining these people's teeth, right? Mm. And in one mining town, Bauxite, that was plagued with this brown stain on the teeth. It It was basically a really bad look for aluminium because in that town of Bauxite, they had a huge aluminium mine and they were Mm -hmm. thinking, oh, it's to do with the aluminium, the fact that these people have really bad teeth. Okay, so this guy called Churchill, who's an Alco scientist, an aluminium mining company scientist, basically was ordered by the company. He was like, look, we're getting a lot of bad press. You go- Figure this out. Figure this out. Try to sort out and please tell us that it's not aluminium, right? Yeah. So it was only due to the fact that they incorporated the money from mining that they could develop these technologies to really look at water in detail to figure out what are the and elements. They use, at that point, they use spectrometry, right? Yeah, they used photospectrographic analysis, mm-hmm. which finally, after they tested the water there, they identified one particular little element, fluorine. Fluorine. In the um, form of fluoride mm-hmm. was found in relatively elevated levels in bauxite. But it's just interesting that they didn't actually have the money, the scientific community to test it. They actually needed this whole corporate cash to mitigate the adverse effects of bad press. And then instead of being thankful, the public thought, wait a minute, this is all a massive conspiracy from the aluminum industry. (laughs) They're trying to like, you know, shirk off all their spare fluoride from the byproduct of all their aluminum processing and trying to now tell us there's something good about it and just find a reason why they can just dump it in our water. <laughs> and Aluna was like, no, 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 it was a mistake, but it actually turns out to be a pretty good one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of all the things that we could be dumping in the water, we're actually fixing your teeth. <laughs> we're really doing it for you, yeah. yeah. And so people did, weren't willing to kind of bank on that, uh, that serendipity. Oh, yeah, And yeah. they're like, sure, yep. yeah. Oh, what are the odds that it's good for us? Yeah. It's definitely bad for us, and you know it, and you're trying to control our brains. <laughs> Well, this conspiracy stuff comes up a bit later, but in 1931, uh, Treadley Dean, who was an epidemiologist, uh-huh. conducts a study across the US. They're like, all right, we think it might be this fluoride thing. Let's map where the fluoride is and all the water sources and try to figure out, is that where the brown stains are? And voila, that's exactly what they find, right? I'll tell you where the brown stains are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so basically the discovery that Dean makes is that water communities that have fluoride greater than about four parts per million in their water supply have this brown stained teeth, right? That is protective of tooth decay. Mm -hmm. But notices that communities with fluoride less than one part per million, this is the important bit, they have that protective effect. But no brown stains. But no brown stains. Mm. This is where fluoride sits. So they think, all right, low doses of fluoride might have this protective effect on our teeth. Mm. And that begins. People were like, well, let's start a huge control trial, right? Do you know what city we're going to now? No, I stopped reading at this point. You stopped reading at this point? Yeah, because I had, I had my info. Okay. Like, oh. 1945, Grand Rapids, Michigan. Oh, yeah. Good city. Great name again. Famous for? This, presumably. Is there anything sure. else? I, I think so. I forget what that mm. The idea was... We we're going to fluoridate one particular town in Grand Rapids. And it was chosen because there were two towns that were very close to each other in 
a lot of the demographics. Mm-hmm. So they were like, all right, Grand Rapids, you're getting the fluoride. Other city, you're our control city. Um, the other city was uh, Muskegon, Michigan. Muskegon. And so it was meant to be a 15-year project because, of course, the idea was it's not going to have an immediate effect. But over time, you would like to think that dental decay would improve in the um, fluoridated water supply. Mm-hmm. And it would remain the same in the control. Okay, so during the 15-year project, researchers monitored the rate of tooth decay among the Grand Rapids. 30,000 school children were monitored. Mm -hmm. And after about 11 years, they concluded that the caries rate among the children born after the fluoride was added dropped by more than 60%. So a huge percentage reduction in dental caries from that community. And what was really interesting was that the control city, after about six years in, were like, we don't want to be the control city anymore. (laughs) And it's meant to be 15 years, right? Yeah. And if you know anything about, well, even if you don't know anything about clinical trials, you don't just turn the control city into the active group. No, but it it has happened in several situations where the difference has become so overwhelming in a short period of time that it's been unethical to maintain a control group. So that happened in some of the early um, HIV research. Yeah. When they found a treatment, they stratified their control group and their treatment group. And I think within like a year or something, they saw that the difference in like death rates was so stark that they didn't even need to finish the study. They yeah. And it was unethical to submit anyone to being not in the control, not in the uh, experimental group. And so they're like, all right, that's it. We're done. We're done. Yeah. That's, well, that's, that's essentially what six happened. Six months in, it was, it was a really short period of time, I think. Well, six years is actually quite a short period of time when you consider the latency period of, you know, you need, you need, you need the kids to be born. You need the kids to start drinking the water and be of age where you can compare the teeth, etc. cetera. Right? Yeah. So anyway, your control city goes, we don't want to be the control anymore. Yeah. Give us the fluoride. Now, there is actually a bit of controversy around that. And there's a, a paper written by Philip Sutton, who is an Australian guy, Melbourne University, mm-hmm. called Errors and Emissions in Experimental Trials, where he basically Reference goes that. to town on this particular t- trial with all the statistical and epidemiological errors that were done in the trial. Well, they could have done a crossover study. Anyway, anyway this, 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 we're get, we're, we're that's in, what I would do. In the thickets here. Now we're going to start getting into conspiracy territory because it, a few years later... In 1950, the Wisconsin Fluoride Study Committee decides they're going to begin fluoridating in Wisconsin as well. Now, there's a poet, Alexander Y. Wallace. He was kind of like this feisty local eccentric, very much beloved in that kind of Midwestern small town vibe, right? Constantly espousing these kind of exotic causes. So this guy who is known for his kind of eccentricity sends a barrage of letters explosively expressing his opinions on a whole bunch of issues, including the pasteurization of milk, which he was against. And he picks up this fluoridation wrong issue. Wrong side of history. Yeah. Yeah. So he was on the wrong side of history of that. But he picks up this fluoridation issue and he runs with it, right? Yeah. This local poet. He started a small campaign to stop the fluoridation before it was going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. And crucially, he talks about it being a part of... It's included in rat poison. It's one of the ingredients inside what it makes up rat poison, right? Sure. Who knows what it's in the rat poison for, but the fact is it's in rat poison, okay? Now, it's funny that he says that because one of the first things that Mark was telling me was the fact that it's in rat poison. So this has continued till the current day, this whole thing, right? But there was a backlash from a bunch of women's groups who wanted the fluoride for their children. Sure. Right? They want their children's teeth to be... White and strong. Well, yeah, well, they want it to be strong, importantly, right? And maybe Brown. <clears throat> maybe Brown. Now, John Frisch, who is the fluorine study committee leader, decides to initiate a referendum to figure out, all right, let's throw it to the people, find out what they want to do with it. Mm-hmm. We know there's pro and anti lobbies. Mm-hmm. But because they were like, okay, people are going to be for this thing. There's no way that this small rabble-rousing poet is going to drum up enough support to um, stop this flow of science, right? They started fluoridating the water before the results came in. They were just like, oh, let's just freaking do it, right? So they started doing this, which initiates this whole conspiracy thing. This is probably the moment where oxygen has been, is given to the conspiracy theorists because they're like, well, this is just, you know, the state trying to poison us yeah. illegally, right? And you're not even listening to us. Yeah, that's right. We, we, you've set this referendum. You haven't even waited for us to finish it. To do it. Yeah. So this Wallace guy, the poet, Finds this out. So, it's it's starting to get fluoridated, the water. Yeah. He figures it out and drums up so much support that they actually win. So, this is a town that's being fluoridated 
who's just had a referendum coming back saying, we don't want to be fluoridated, right? And it was really this sort of grassroots populism that captured a lot of America at the time, which basically continued on for the next 50, 60 years. Mm. And I've got lots to say about that too. Yeah, but here's the interesting thing, right? Because what's going to characterize the history of fluoridation is particularly unscrupulous actors on the scientific side, the pro-fluoridation, right? They really think this is a benefit, a health benefit for people. And they just go at it hammer and tongs, potentially cutting corners that shouldn't be cut. But we also have on the other side, completely like hyperventative insanity from people that are thinking that every malady is now being caused by fluoride. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So we have mass hysteria. Right. And particularly in small scale mass hysteria. In Newburgh, an interesting story comes out of Newburgh, New York, that was getting their water fluoridated, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So they announced they were going to be fluoridating, but there was some mechanical delay, right? Where they were like, oh shit, it didn't really come through. The fluoride pump. The fluoride pump wasn't working or whatever. And it delayed it by about, delayed it by a few weeks. Meanwhile, in those three or four weeks prior to the fluoridation happening, they got an insane amount of people coming down with fluorine related illnesses, right? Yeah. So they came up with- This is like MSG all over again, right? Complaints about discolored saucepans, digestive troubles, cracked dentures- Everyone was freaking out that their water was being fluoridated and it hadn't been fluoridated. So that's really good. It's amazing that the history of the water fluoridation, you get both sides where you have this really kind of unscrupulous zealot acting on the side of fluoridation Mm -hmm. and then the just hypochondriac hysteria on the other side, right? Conspiracy peddling hysteriacs on the other side. Histrionics. Histrionics. Yeah. And so essentially what happens then is you get the anti-fluoridationists they find good company with anti-vaxxers of course they find good company with christian scientists who declare that it's an abomination mm-hmm. um, against their ideas of faith healing is this an example of biohacking that's a good question <laughs> so this is the anti-biohacking movement yeah they join in with this the right-wing anti-communists as well so the kkk are against fluoridation so are the mccarthyist politicians who are against it from a state are poisoning us kind so of Mark's thing, in right? good company. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it'd be a lot funnier if like, the KKK, which obviously have a barrage of terrible policies, were actually pro-fluoride. <laughs> you want them to have like one yeah. like sensible You'd thing? You'd think they'd be a pro the thing that's going to keep your teeth white, wouldn't you? Yeah. Really? <laughs> well, or brown. Well, mm-hmm. in... Maybe that's the issue. They yeah. like they have brown teeth. Brown teeth, brown people. Colorado brown stain. Exactly. Anyway, so the history of fluoridation gives us the two sides yeah. in really clear form. And they've been there. The, both camps have been there ever since. Yep. And if you look at the research, and I was looking at, you know, in Canada alone, where I grew up in a town that doesn't have it, there's been some communities that do have it. Um, some provinces do. Some provinces don't. Some have stopped. Some have picked it up. Um, and on both sides of the, of, of, the, of the coin, people are going back and forth and they're calling places they're getting rid of it regressive and places that are adopting it, calling them stupid, yeah. you know? And so there's still a huge amount of like, it's almost like it's divided 50-50 in the Western world, people who are pro and against the idea of fluoride. Yeah. Um, now some of that is based on fear-mongering and hysteria, mm-hmm. uh, but a lot of it now is increasingly based on just the science and it's, but comes down to people's I guess how you interpret the science as being worth the cost, the risk, or does it do anything at all that's actually particularly helpful mm. nowadays? Well, let me get onto the science about whether it's... So that, that's the history of yeah. fluoridation, but I kind of want just a quick little thing about the science behind whether it's actually good for our teeth. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. So why don't we take a little break and then we'll come back and start discussing... Catch our breath. Catch our breath a bit. We'll start discussing the um, evidence for whether it continues to be a benefit Mm. to our dental hygiene, the inclusion of fluorine to our water supply. Okay. All right, so we're back. We're back. And we're deep, deep, deep in this uh, podcast about fluoridation. Now, fluoridation. you gave us, you served us up a great history. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think we're all on board that fluoride is good for our teeth. It seems to do something to our teeth, right? Well, okay. Historically, it has been good for our teeth. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what I'm saying. So, because we're gonna we're gonna investigate why it might not be so good anymore. Sure. But the question is, why is fluoride? What's the theory? Why is fluoride useful to our teeth? All right, Mr. Doctor Man, tell us how fluoride how affects does fluoride... our teeth and how how is it meant to improve our teeth? Because it's because is fluoride a natural part of our teeth? No. It's I would not... think isn't it calcium? Calcium. Calcium. Our fluoride. teeth are made of largely our teeth are like little bones, yep. little shiny bones. That's calcium. Fluoride's not a, an important part of your of your teeth naturally. So why the hell would we even? It's not an intuitive thing to think that fluoride should be useful to your teeth. Yeah. Uh, and it's actually quite simple. Um, topical fluoride, which is so when you drink water with fluoride, it's not. I don't, from from what I understand, it's not the water that you ingest that's helping. It's the water that's washed over your teeth. It's the topical contact of the fluoride with your teeth. Correct. That helps, right? So it's the local concentration of fluoride in your mouth, in your saliva, not your systemic fluoride that helps. Exactly. And what happens is the fluoride um, uh, reacts with the enamel in your teeth, and it forms a compound called uh, fluoroapatite. Mm-hmm. And that is just a really, really strong compound, which helps to enrich and strengthen the dentine or the enamel in your teeth. Mm. So it's not actually doing them with the calcium. It's this fluoroapatite um, we have appetite in our bones. Appetite is a naturally occurring compound and that's part of one of the kind of the hardening compounds in bone mm-hmm. and in teeth. But fluoroappetite is particularly strong and particularly sort of corrosive. Um, uh, what's, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Particularly st- resistant to corrosion okay. from, uh, from acid attack, from bacteria in your mouth. So yeah, it's this kind of this serendipitous, like just turns out that drinking fluoride is really, really good mm-hmm. for your teeth. And that's what we know. Yep. So it's, it's actually, it, there's not a lot to it, but there is a science behind why it should be helpful. Okay. Well, I've got a little study here that I was looking at that is a critical review of the physiological effects of ingested fluoride. I like how health. you can just write critical review in the title of your paper yeah. and it instantly adds like credence to what you're saying. Yeah, I, I'm with you, but... It doesn't have to be a critical review. You could just have to say it's a critical review. Hmm. A critical review of magic in preschool. And, and, you, and then you can be totally for it and be like, in conclusion, we find that magic is a particularly useful tool in the preschool environment. <laughs> well, this is a paper jointly written by a guy called Stephen Peckham, who's the director of the Center for Health Services Studies and the Department of Health Services Research and Policy in the UK. So he's a bigwig and not necessarily affiliated with any dental kind of cause or anything like that right so what year uh this is three years ago 2000 and i think it's 2015 and how many citations did it have i cannot recall but it also has this guy called niyi awofeso who's a professor of in the school of public health in western australia conjoint professor in the school of public health and community medicine so um two people that i i, I looked into them and i thought that they had some credence and weren't necessarily over-invested mm-hmm. in a pro or anti-fluorine yeah. outcome, right? Mm-hmm. Which I like, I like that. Mm-hmm. So they criticize this established fact of the benefit of fluoridation. And the whole point of this is that, flu- as you were describing the effect of fluorine being topical, mm. why ingest it into you? This is all very topical, isn't it? It is, it is. This is really a topic thunder, if you will. <laughs> that scowl is worth its weight in gold. So the ingesting of fluorine seems to be unnecessary if it's all just about the amount of the stuff that you're swishing around on your teeth, right? Yeah. The criticisms they had of it is that this is essentially a public health intervention, mm-hmm. but who's sick, right? How do you control how much of the intervention, the, the quote unquote medical intervention or medicine mm. is being doled out to people, right? Maybe I need less fluorine than you, right? They, they actually found that you need to have a certain amount of calcium and magnesium in your diet or in around your mouth for it to react to essentially create this fluoride appetite. Yeah. Fluoride appetite. Fluoride appetite. Yeah. And so if I don't have enough calcium and magnesium in my body, if I'm particularly undernourished, fluoride's not going to help my teeth at all. In fact, it might even make my teeth worse. So it's a health intervention with no scope for dosage mm-hmm. right like who knows who needs it who doesn't need it yet i'm just going to take on as much fluoride as you're going to take on mm-hmm. because it's just this kind of level that's been assumed that everyone needs right 
given that it's more effective when applied topically, guess what they didn't have back in 1945? Uh, fluoride toothpaste, fluoride mouthwash. Exact And dental, like in, in-house dental fluoride application. Exactly right. So obviously when you don't have fluorine toothpaste, fluoride toothpaste, mm-hmm. getting fluoride in any way you can is probably a good option. And so that's why I look at those reduction in dental caries of 60% from those initial studies. And you're talking about people that whose, whose teeth had never seen fluoride. Yeah. And As a kid, I had fluoride tablets. Ah. Because we had no fluoride in our water. Interesting. So every day I had to have a fluoride tablet. Yeah. You chew it up, but you had to keep it in your mouth and not swallow it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Try explaining that to a 10-year-old. <laughs> it, was, it was delicious too. What kind of flavors are we talking here? Uh, fluoride. Fluoride flavored. <laughs> yeah. No, I don't know. It was it wasn't like minty. It was it was sweet, like sugary. It yeah, wasn't okay. like a flavor. It was just like sweet. But yeah, look, this paper is quite a dense paper mm-hmm. and it questions why the normal rules of safety aren't applied to assessments of harm and benefit in the case of water fluoridation. For any other intervention, we would have a rigorous assessment of harms versus benefits. Yeah. Yet the papers it doesn't really delve into it too much. The scientific community have just like, yep, fluoride's great. We're done. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like aspirin, right? Aspirin is really good for lots of things. Now, it is a blood thinner, but it's good for pain. Yeah. Uh, people say it, you know, it's got this whole host of purported benefits. And unlike many other sort of panaceas, we know that aspirin is actually a, a functional drug for yeah. many things, right? Yeah. It's anti-inflammatory. Uh, it generally seems to be associated with better health, people who take daily aspirin. Mm. Um, very few downsides. So why don't we just start putting aspirin in the water for everyone? It'd be the same idea, right? Which is, hey, people seem to live longer and do better when they take a small dose of aspirin. Why don't we just put a low dose of aspirin in the water so everyone's on aspirin all the time? Yeah. Um, but we would never do that. You could do that with codeine as well. Everyone is just going to be doped up. Yeah. But like, we would never, ever think of doing that, right? With of something not. as safe as aspirin. But yeah, we did with fluoride. Yeah. So very interesting. Mm. Okay, so that's it. That's basically this this big paper that, that yeah. I, I don't know, I was enamored by, mm-hmm. raising the fact that there is no real scientific consensus around the benefits of fluoride in the era of fluoride toothpaste. Well, the benefits of water fluoridation. I, I read a, um, a Cochrane review yep. from a couple of years ago, which also looked at, um, at the situation. And it said much of what you said, or what that paper said. And they found that... Um, it did seem as though fluoride does, in fact, reduce um, caries in children. Yep. Um, that's uncontrovertible. It's like a 60% reduction in cavities in By in topical application or uh, water? water? In the okay. water. Right. Right. But, see, um, but yep. what they found was there wasn't enough evidence to suggest that it's useful in adults yep. at all. Mm-hmm. So it's only good for kids. And kids lose all those teeth anyway. Yeah. So what are you really saving? That's one way of looking at it, right? But in adults, which is going to be the people who keep those teeth for the longest, and that's the biggest source of, of sort of, you know, public health drain. It's going to be um, cavities and, yeah, and older extractions people, yeah. and all that kind of stuff. It doesn't seem to really do... We don't have the evidence to show that it does much for adults. And furthermore, almost all the studies that show that fluoride was useful in water was before 1975, mm. which is when we started actually having fluoride, fluoride in yeah. topical treatments of yeah. toothpaste and mouthwash and yeah. dentists started using it and whatever else. So once we started using it in that capacity, we don't have any, any evidence that was in the water is doing any good to anyone at all. It's just superfluous fluoride. Yep. Right? Yep. And so what they concluded though, um, and I read a few papers that seem to suggest that the only reason that we have fluoride, in, the only advantage of fluoride in water systems now is to even out the socioeconomic difference in dental health. So what we do see still is that um, in communities in Canada, for example, or you might have two neighboring communities that have it and don't have it, people from a certain socioeconomic uh, background above which the, ca- the cavity rate is pretty much the same, whether they have fluoride in the water or not. That's because they're brushing their teeth with good toothpaste, they go to the dentist every six months, they're getting their topical fluoride treatments there, um, they may or may not use mouthwash as well. But below that line, there's much less control of whether or not they're actually getting those sort of consistent, purchasable um, Well, this is my uh, point treatments. as well. And so the idea is that it's a way of evening out the socioeconomic difference in, in, in oral hygiene. Well, this is, this is my reasoning. At the very top of the episode, I said, I think I'm against 
mm-hmm. water fluoridation. I might try to not. So why do you want poor people to have cavities? Well, no, no, no. I'm against water fluoridation for me. Mm -hmm. From a public health intervention point of view, there might be arguments to say, well, this is good for people who are of lower socioeconomic status because they might need it because they don't have access. They don't have established oral hygiene um, habits as much as people in higher socioeconomic parts of society. Mm -hmm. So from a public health perspective, maybe it makes sense. Mm -hmm. I would potentially receive arguments in that front yeah but for me personally yeah who is an adult who uses toothpaste regularly and flosses and whatever yeah at least at least once weekly yeah i feel like there's no reason for me to be ingesting all this fluoride right sure so but what are you afraid of with the fluoride well this is where we need to go yeah so this is going to be this is now back to me Um, so okay we've done the history we've looked at the the epidemiology epidemiology of it and the purported slash Assessed benefits. So of- what we know now in, in Redux yep. is that it is good for teeth, Fluoride. but really in 2019, it's only really beneficial to a certain group of people in yep. the world. Yep. People who don't have access to the same sort of, you know, dent oral hygiene amenities that the- people of higher socioeconomic status do. There was a bit of a nail in the coffin that happened to a lot of the pro-fluoride lobby because in Europe, they stopped fluoridating their water probably about 20 years ago mm-hmm. in a lot of European countries. And the rates of dental caries... Didn't change. It didn't change. So it obviously dropped when they first introduced it back yep. in the day. Yeah. But then they stopped fluoridating and the dental caries have stayed about the same. So if there's evidence that they you don't need water fluoridation, that might be it. So anyway. Maybe, yeah. Now first, That's in the first world though, don't forget. Yeah, so. exactly. So those people are probably still using toothpaste. I mean, I think it's be hard to get any toothpaste now without fluoride in it. Yeah. Well, no, it's not. No? No, because there's all those kind of health, quote unquote, health shops that will have sure. you know, no, so natural toothpaste. So you're paying more for the non-fluoridated toothpaste. Yeah. So if you're yeah. poor and you're going to be going to get toothpaste, it's going to have fluoride in it. Correct. Yeah. If you go to the Your, Cervo, col- your Colgate's are having fluoride. It's all going to have fluoride in it, right? So... If you're if you are going to brush your teeth at all, you're probably going to get your fluoride. Yep. And if you're not going to brush your teeth at all, I don't think fluoride's going to save you in the water. It helps in the margins when people don't brush their teeth enough. And it may it'll reduce the cavities that you would otherwise have gotten, but you're still going to have bad oral hygiene. It's not going to save you. And if you have even a modicum of sort of routine oral hygiene with toothpaste, you're probably going to get the same benefit as yep. water is going to give you, right? Um, but now, regardless. There does seem to be, as it stands, some marginal benefit to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so it's not a huge benefit. But if there's no downside, well, then it, and it's not very expensive, then why stop it? Well, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Next week, we'll actually be looking at the potential downsides of fluoridation, including the alleged effects like on the, the pineal gland. It gets a little bit conspiratorial, which we love here on Jeremy's Iron as well. Uh, we're also going to be interviewing a Dr. Lewis Ehrlich to give us the dentist perspective on all this, which will be well welcomed, I'm sure. So we'll see you next week. That's been Jeremy's Iron, and on the web, we're jeremysiron.com. Okay, let's have a chit chat. <laughs> okay. You got some on your mind? You got yeah, well, something to I say? feel like everyone seems to have a, a very intense opinion about the whole Greta Thunberg thing. You know, the, mm. um, did you see it? Yeah, I've seen it. I've got, I've got, I've got a strong opinion about that. Well, I'd like to hear your strong opinion because I think she should shut up. Really? Yeah, I think I, it's ridiculous. Okay, she's clearly well. She is autistic, right? Sure. Which we come, which comes up a lot in the show for mm-hmm. some reason. Number one, we could recommend her some treatments. <laughs> we finally get around to our uh, autism episode. Yeah, but what does that got to do with anything? Well, I'm going to disagree with you straight off the bat with that. Well, I think, firstly, this girl's sort of pushing the limelight. She behaves, I think, unusually. I think her, her demeanor in that uh, press conference she gave was her affect was quite odd. What well, she's a 68-year-old kid getting put I up in front know. of like... I know, and she's talking about it not being fair to have this thrust onto 16-year-old kids, but she's putting her hand up and now we've thrust all this pressure back onto her and she's 16 doing speaking tours around the world now about this thing. Okay. She's 16 years old. I don't think she should be doing that, especially someone who has 
you know, some of the, you know, issues that she has going on. I disagree. And, I think and she's been taken advantage of. I think that this wouldn't be as big a deal if it wasn't partially to her demeanor and her affect, which are part of her autism. I disagree. Um, I, th I think the crux of what she's saying is true. Yeah. Um, but I, f I found the whole thing odd. I found that her, her behavior during the thing, I found to me kind of just a bit jarring. Um, yeah, but I'm not a fan of this. Okay, well, let, let me, it's, let it's me pose the opposing argument here, right? Yeah. Um, first of all, it's it's what she's saying that we should be focusing on, not who is saying it, right? This is the, the classic case of, you know, message over the messenger, right? Like, what does it matter? Any of that stuff you just said, who cares? It was what she, you didn't even mention what she said. Like, no, but we all know what she said. That's been part of the whole... Um, the whole release and the whole so viral you, campaign. Yeah, but, but whether we agree said. with it or not, that's that's what we should be discussing, yet it's all but about... But she hasn't said anything new. Okay. Which is right. why I think the medium is no, what no, no. is yes, so interesting. No, no, no. She did say something new. She said... She, she brought up the idea that, that essentially... That we owe something essentially to, to young people, right? Mm -hmm. We owe something to young people is her... Yeah. If you were to boil down what she was saying, you know, how dare you, blah, 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 blah right? Now... I actually saw Andrew Bolt's reply to this for whatever reason it came yeah. up on. Andrew Bolt, you don't know who Andrew Bolt is. He's like a conservative commentator and um, Australian, con very conservative commentator. Okay. Climate change denier as well, like totally mm -hmm. bonkers on that on that front, right? But I saw this mm -hmm. and he parroted something that you kind of said there, which was like that she's almost put up to the, she's been put up to it by her parents and she's only 16 and she's kind of like, I think we've got to give some credence, some kind of, there, there are, fucking impressive 16 year olds out in the world do you know what i mean and i don't think this whole mouthpiece of her parents i don't she's think been put that. up to this or you know we we shouldn't be listening to her because of her age i don't i don't think i agree with that wholeheartedly like i genuinely on a you know i've said this before usually when people who are a lot younger than me try to give me some advice about things i yeah. tend to say shut the fuck up what do you know right yeah and if, which, if which someone is, which older than me what i think right now i'm like she's 16 She's idealistic. What she's saying, the crux of what she's saying, there is there's a kernel of truth to it, but it's just not that simple either. You know, no. She's saying all you worry about is money and politics and all. I'm like, you know, I'm sorry, but those things are not just so easy to brush aside and go. Everyone, let's hold hands and fix the problem. Yeah. Look, and, I, um, and so when it's that kind of stuff, and there's the, you mix that with the pleading and the crying and the weird facial expressions, and that doesn't the, matter to me. And, and I don't see, it, 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 I the think whole that's thing comes together. Irrelevant. And I, to me, it's not. It's all part of the package. I don't think any of that's unjustified. Her response to all that stuff, particularly because you know she's young and it's the first time she's had a camera on her. Probably, yep. actually, I don't know. I haven't looked into her. Well, Maybe she's, she's done stuff. If you but, watch the, that, there's a bunch of videos where she's wearing multiple different changes of clothes and giving the same talk. Okay, so she's done it over and over again. Still, all right. Look, most of that's irrelevant to me, at least. I think. See, the the, the thing that kind of gets to me is the idea that young people think the world is way worse now than it's been in the in the past mm. and there's a great book coming out by one douglas murray mm, yeah i, I can't remember that. the title of the book in fact i should probably look it up um the madness of crowds that's right yeah so he looks at the idea of you know the typical left bashing right but the idea that somehow we've got to a stage where the most privileged the most like the generation that has everything in front of it yeah thanks to a lot of things that they despise like yeah. like capitalism and all sure. these kind of forces that have created this system that allows them to have these systems in place where they're they're medically fine well, medical they're, well, they're well off financially well off yeah <laughs> the water's fluoridated and all this kind of stuff they don't even and brush their teeth they're, they're crying as if the world is worse we than have we have failed them it's like yeah. well no previous generations have created something that in the whole history of humankind, when else would you want to be born than within about 10 years of when you were born? Like, exactly. it's just, it's... And, and that's also my thing. Like, you see her crying and pleading as if she's... How dare you? Yeah, that's, as, that, as, that as, if, as if she yeah. is... Yeah, yeah, that's the part that gets me. And she says it with like this anguished face and she's crying. And I'm like, you weren't born in the Holocaust. Yeah. You know, like people aren't killing you. No one's beating down your door. I mean... You're 16 years old. You've never known a world that's particularly different to how it is now. And you don't even really know what the future of this is. Yeah. And I hear you saying that. I'm like, you're 16 years old. How, how literate are you on the science of it and the economics of it? Mm. And that's what we had Brad Wong on for a few months ago. I mean, it's just not as simple as saying climate change is bad. Stop it. 
Yeah. Just stop doing what you're doing and stop worrying. I mean, we're talking about, I mean, trillion dollar industries and economies don't begin to touch the scope <clears throat> of this thing, you know? Mm. And so for a 16 year old to, to say, I mean, it's, you say there are some very mature and, you know, powerful totally. and impressive 16 year olds. Nothing she said to me seemed particularly powerful or insightful or, or brilliant about that because she wasn't offering a real solution. She was offering sort of a fairy tale. She doesn't have to offer old. a solution. Well, we, don't, we don't have to hear a solution well, from that, her. No, but, 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 but I think that the point that is generally being made here is that they are, pe young people, they, yeah. they are at the whims of what we decide to do with mm -hmm. this, right? We being, quote unquote, adults or people in positions of power, right? Yeah. And that's an important thing to get across, right? Like mm. we are determining their future, right? Yeah. And we need to actually take stock of that. And whether this is the force that does that through a particularly grating, for you at least, yeah. grating means or whatever, like I think that's actually really important. So I, I don't... It alienates me from the cause, that video. That's another it, issue. It whether, whether it's effective or not is another issue. Yeah. But... <clears throat> But she could have said the same. What if the video was her going on about world hunger, for example? Another, you know, sort of probably more prescient issue facing humankind. Yeah. And she said the same, crying, saying, how dare you? Don't leave this to the next generation to, to fix or talk about saving the children. Like, actually fucking do it, you know? And she would be crying and making her anguish faces through the whole thing. But people would still be like, yeah, no, we know it's bad. <laughs> like, yeah, this isn't news to us. It's just not that easy for us to fix right now. Yeah. And she's not going to win over the uh, the capitalist... Uh, well, that's what she's not going to be doing. Yeah, I agree this with is that. The like, same the, thing. The people, it seems so polarizing that the people already on board are like... Exactly. And this is the same... Go, thing. go, Greta. We, and then like... We've chatted about this before. I've, in my field, we have to do these stupid... I'll say it here on live on air that we do these <coughs> stupid uh, courses that we have to attend, these professional development courses to make us, you know, more empathic or to be uh, kinder or to be more whatever, right? And the reality is that if you are empathic or understanding or kind and you go to these talks, it doesn't make you any more empathic or kind because you already are. The people who aren't, who are pervasive or who have personality disorders or just generally jerks, won't take it on board mm. at all. So what's the point of having those saccharine uh, weekends away when all you're doing is preaching to the choir, right? Yeah. And so her thing is, to me, just a really grating preaching to the choir where the people who, who care share the video and watch amongst themselves and the people who don't care will just ignore it. Uh, so, yeah, it's... I don't I know. Just find it amazing. I, I don't there's, there's, see... There's no one that was sitting on the fence with it. Everyone was either like... This is, <clears throat> you know, your passion of view that way or someone else's passion view that it's like uh, Greta's the, the best. The only room that. that we have for, for talk about climate change in this, uh, in this context is to offer solutions for it, not to reiterate the problem. And is that fresh for a 16-year-old to be talking about the problems? The only, the reason why I think it's so big is because of her affect and how she presented herself with the whole thing and how she presented it. Yeah. And, and I don't think that, I think that is a sort of a symptom of, of her and her, but that's not forced. You know, I, no, no, I, I'm not saying it's forced, but I'm, I'm just saying that it's for us to be spreading that and jumping on that, it's sort of predatory and it, it's voyeuristic. You know, we like it because there's, there's, the, there's theater involved in the whole thing. But that's what sells, you know, that's what people care about, right? People don't care about numbers and stats. I'm a statistician. I know all that stuff, right? Yeah. People care about human stories. And, and it, this, it's like the kid that washed up, you know, the, the Turkish kid that washed up on shore. No, um, Yep. Syri the Syrian kid that washed up on the shore of mm -hmm. Turkey. Yeah. Right? Yep. That sold, got people involved in that as opposed to hearing about the numbers of people that were dying, right? Yep. Like, y you might need a, a Greta to kind of get people to go, holy shit, you yep. know? Like, the stories from 16 year olds that matter to me are people like Sarah Hader, you know, who are who've been the, like quite directly the victims of persecution or violence, uh, or the kids in the American schools who have come out after the, um, the massacres. And you know, they're on the cover of Time Weekly or whatever, making their statements about <coughs> what it's like to be a child who's going to schools. Um, but who, who not, and yeah. those stories mean a lot more to me because they are they're so proximate to the danger and to what's happening and yeah. their real lived experiences, rather than someone just reiterating the general manifesto of the anti climate change movement. Hmm. You know, like this girl doesn't have anything new to bring to the table with it mm. and no no lived experience that really means anything to me so she's just crying about something may as, may as well but you're, be about you're basically squeezing out the voices of young people then if you're saying that that, there's, that you need to have lived experience to warrant 
getting involved in the but discussion. She's not saying, but she's not saying but no, no, what I'm saying new. is that like this climate issue is a not it's not a problem for old people. Mm. People who are like 50, 60 years old, what do yeah. they care, right? We've got, we've got to be right for the next 10, 15, 20, probably 20 years, right? Mm. Not much is going to happen in 20 years. Maybe a few Pacific Island nations might get fucked over, but you know. Yeah. It's only really the young people that are going to be dealing with this shit. So we have to afford them some voice. Do you not agree with that? Like, even though they no, don't I have do. experience, I, they don't know solutions. That, you know, how can we expect a 16-year-old to know but all this stuff? But what they're saying is we know it already. So their voice has already been heard. That 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 sentiment has already been brought to the table. I honestly don't think it has. I think I, you're going to win me more over with the idea of its effectiveness and pushing people away well, we, from we've it. Already I had, agree with that. We've already had Brad on and we spoke about the work of the Copenhagen Consensus, right? Yeah. And again, the idea that, yeah, climate change is bad. We all, most reasonable people agree that climate change is bad, Right. But right now, it's not the most pressing thing that we need to be fixing in the world. And it's not the most kind of efficient use of our funding and our time. Um, and the way it's going, we're going to be better off turning things around when we have the more means. But in the meantime, there's a lot more things that are killing people a lot more quickly and ruining countries and continents. Yeah. And that's, again, this, so this idea of the hijacking of, of the news with climate change. There's, there's, you have people who are climate change deniers, but then there's the other middle ground where people who acknowledge climate change but also acknowledge that there are other things we need to be thinking about. But do you agree agree with the whole, like, I mean, uh, and, and when, the neither of us are climate scientists, but do you no. agree with the whole feedback loop analogy that's, you know, eventually, even though it might not be the most efficient, quote unquote, use of funds for mm. the current amount of people that are alive today. Yeah. Like at some point, the proliferation of the, the world itself might need to take priority, right? Like it doesn't matter how many people die today if... Yeah. In keeping them alive, we're dooming the entire planet in 100 years or 50 years, right? Like, at some point, that needs to go up to the top level, irrespective of how inefficient it might be to try to get there, right? Well, the idea is, from what we can tell, I mean, besides doing things like trying to uh, control outputs, which we already are, yeah. you know, so stopping making it worse in terms of reversing things and doing other kind of, you know, uh, initiatives, um, I think that in 10, 15 years, we'll be in a much better position to do that. Than we are right now mm. in more meaningful ways we don't really don't know what to do right now right <laughs> and we already do have commissions to try and control those those um those emissions yeah so i don't know what else they want us to do about that right now meanwhile there are literally people who are dying all over the world from other problems that we should probably be focusing on now there's no point saving the world if there's no one left to be in it <laughs> as yeah, well that's right? right and again there's that issue that i think we spoke about last time which is that it's very easy for people where's she from Sweden, she, right? She's Swedish. Yeah. So Swedish has got, it's one of the most extreme versions of a first world developed country. Yeah. Right? And climate change is sort of... It's my, it's probably it, boutique it, in so many it's countries. A, it's a boutique yeah. industry and it's a boutique... But not in Sweden, it, it, yeah. And it's a bourgeois concern because there's nothing else in your life that affects you. The only thing that's really affecting most people in the first world is the idea of climate change, right? Because that can get you, but malaria is not going to be getting you yeah. in fucking Gothenburg, you know? Um, malnutrition isn't coming at you, you know, over in Oslo. Yeah. Um, so Scandinavia is uniquely poised to make those kind of comments. And so are we in, in other kind of developed nations. So I do also think that the, the, the concern with that is that it's a very selfish, proximate concern where we worry about the thing that affects us the most, that might affect us, but we ignore but the things that affect okay, people who are different to us. My argument against that is that whether the bulk of countries on the world care about it or not that doesn't change the fact that it might still be the most pressing issue people have more immediate needs in many of the other countries right where it's mm -hmm. like who cares about climate we've got to try to put food on the fucking table right yeah but okay there's a privilege that we have in places like australia and sweden and other you know parts of america and yeah. etc right but that privilege allows us to be able to see potentially more clearly the well, pressing dangers, right? Maslow's like, hierarchy of needs, right? We, we fulfilled all of our basic needs. We're not under threat from any basic yeah. uh, sort of, you know... But, uh, you know, people, people seem, seem always seem to like shit on privilege. Mm. But you can use privilege and here this might be a case of, all right, we are privileged countries because we don't have to deal with keeping ourselves alive yeah. day to day. So we looked into all this shit and holy crap, we actually need to steer the course into, you know, more renewables, etc. blah, blah, blah. And we need to convince other countries that don't have this pressing need that, by the way, this needs to be a completely world, you know, 
worldwide we need to get on board with this. But generally, we are though. The world is. It's getting I know. every year. It is getting better. We don't see people increasing their emissions. People are generally reducing their emissions. Oh, I don't think. I don't think that's true. I think it is true. I think even. I think I read that even China and India are actually making changes to to reduce their emissions. Well, I'm so glad, I'm glad we have an evidence based podcast to yeah. test that out. <laughs> we'll have to look into that. But the world is getting better in that way. So we're going in the right direction. You know, yeah. and also the first thing we do, like I said before, is to cease our emissions or reduce them and move towards uh, more renewables. Yeah. Um, I wish Australia was better in that way, frankly. I think we're pretty behind the eight ball yeah. on all of that. Um, Look, all right. I think we're going to have to park the discussion on it. Yeah. Um, and what I think I'm going to do is I'm going to put this at the back of our episode. Yeah, because it gets... It's, it's this, a is bit, not, this is not... 